Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show. Appreciate you joining us as we continue to celebrate the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such a wonderful place to live, work, and play. I'm actually up at my place in the Mississippi Delta in a small town called Itabina, Mississippi, right outside of Greenwood. And of course, uh, if you hit Highway 82 very close to us here, you eventually make your way over to Indianola and Greenville. Of course, you can make your way to Clarksdale as well. But it's a special time of the of the year here in the Mississippi Delta. And uh, I love being here. I have a lot of, a lot of wonderful friends here. And uh, a lot of my friends from the coast join me, and it's just uh, a great brotherhood up here. But thank you for thank you for joining us today. And we have actually a special show today. Uh, we're going to be moving uh, quickly uh, in just a second to my friend Laurie Jackson, who's a, a missionary in Western Ukraine, and she has joined us every few months from Ukraine to kind of give us the latest. And I was doing some research this morning, and I was reminded that that she posted something on her Facebook page about a year ago. And it was uh, sharing a quote that, that uh, Ellie Weissel uh, shared. And uh, for you, those of you who don't know who that is, uh, he, he was a Romanian-born American writer, professor, political activist. He, he was a Nobel, Nobel laureate, uh, Holocaust survivor, and he authored 57 books written mostly in French and um, English. Um, and so, yeah, really, you know, a lot of out of his experience as a Jewish prisoner in Auschwitz and other concentration camps. And uh, Laurie shared this, and it, it makes me think of, as Americans, sort of where should we be when it comes to the war in Ukraine? Where should we be as it relates to what is happening in the Middle East now and the issues that that uh, Israel is facing, not only with Hamas, but other terrorist groups that surround them that would love to see every every Jew killed. It's just a reality of what we have to think about. But uh, here's the quote that, that Weissel uh, said, and this is what Laurie Jackson shared. We must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Excuse me, the tormentor never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity, dignity is, jeopardy, is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. And you know, obviously as it relates to the experience that Weissel had in the concentration camps and this incredible slaughter of humans that was taking place there, too many around the world didn't take note uh, quickly enough. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. And, you know, we cannot, we cannot turn our heads to what's happening in Ukraine. We cannot turn our heads to what's happening in Israel. And when I visit with my friend Laurie, who is from uh, Florida, incidentally, and she's been in Ukraine for about 17 years. I met her through 
uh, my cousin's daughter who is who has adopted two young men from Ukraine and Laurie assisted with I think at least one of those and uh, so I've become friends with Laurie and we've watched uh, I've watched her carefully this incredible volunteer effort that she has underway there and uh, so I'm looking forward to to, uh, to checking in with her today so without any further ado let me turn over to my friend Laurie Jackson who's coming to us from Western Ukraine how you doing Laurie Hey, um, we're okay. Pressing on. Um, thank you for having me. Well, Laurie, it's, uh, it's something important to me to reflect about this time of year. So I noticed behind you, you know, the Christmas decorations. Mm -hmm. uh, so many of the people that you're working with in this incredible volunteer effort that we're going to we're going to help people understand what it's all about are Christians, and they 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 believe in God and celebrate Jesus and God just the way we do you know here in the south mm -hmm. and uh, so we share we share that significant Christian belief um, and you do a lot of praying these days don't you my friend um, pretty much constantly listen up one of before I moved when I was about to move all of my radio equipment to get it all packed up so I could do the show from the Mississippi Delta I, 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 I rolled over this little um, this thing that I have my laptop sitting on, and out pops the Christmas card that you and your group of ants, we'll explain people what ants means in a second, came out from underneath, and I read it to myself, and I thought, gosh, you know, here we are again, another year, you know, has gone by, and you're still watching friends die you're watching this incredible war continue to go on. And from where you're sitting, really no end in sight. We don't we really don't know what the resolution is going to be. But it's almost like time stands still, but the only difference is that friends continue to die. It's a very, very tough situation for you guys, isn't it? Um, it is really hard. Um, it's really hard to know what comes next um, and for how long. Um, that's probably my most constant prayer is, um, is how long, oh Lord. Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned to you that I've done a lot of reading. I stay very much abreast of what's being written by the international press, the American press. I watch the BBC, which I mentioned to you because I think they give a good international perspective on things. And, you know, I do think that the tolerance for this war is, starting to wane and will be interesting to see what comes of it. I, I pray too that it comes to an end sooner than later. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've often compared for people who have not, who've not listened to you and me talk before. I've often compared the situation in Ukraine sort of to what, to, to what we experienced after hurricane Katrina. In other words, just incredible hurricane came and went. And then this unbelievable volunteer effort cropped up and we, we we began to understand what resiliency really is all about, the ability to bounce back, the ability to support our neighbors and our friends, the powerful prayers, the, the politics don't matter anymore. You know, all that matters is how can we, how can we help our neighbors? But in your case, it's a hurricane that hit and didn't go away. It just continues to hit every single day. I know that you're tired, but you know, this is volunteer. There's a national international volunteer day today. It is. You've got you've got volunteers from all stripes. People who used to work in all kinds of professions that have rallied around the support efforts that you've put in place to help families and fighters and so many others. Um, 
it's been it's been inspiring at the same time that it's been it knocks the wind out of you every day. I know it does, but it's also been inspiring to see people come to help each other, isn't it? Um, anytime uh, we see people come alongside to help in any way, it just, yeah, it's like a breath of fresh air. Okay, we can keep doing this because um, because there's someone coming alongside who's going to be helping you um, help others. So I looked at, I've, I've stayed up to, to breast, uh, abreast of the uh, efforts that you have underway. And Man, you guys, your drivers are staying on the road. So well, let's take a step back a little bit, and let's describe what this Friends of UA Ants, the UA Ants effort, is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, everyone probably knows or remembers that on February 24th, um, 2002, Russia launched a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. This wasn't the start of the war. The war started in 2014 um, in eastern Ukraine. I was actually displaced from there. Um, living in Kyiv, the capital city, um, when the full-scale invasion started and um, woke up to explosions um, and was staying with some friends and we said, okay, what are we going to do? We got in the car and started heading west um, for safety, really, um, and ended up in an old rundown hotel uh, with some other friends and the next morning woke up and said, okay, what are we going to do? Um, and I didn't want to leave. Uh, and the guys couldn't leave. Uh, and Lisa didn't want to leave her husband. And so uh, we had other friends on the road and we said, okay, how can we help? Um, can we rent the hotel for a week? And we did. Um, and we started um, helping people figure out where to go. Um, and um, a lot of people were staying with us and a lot of people were going further into Europe. Uh, at the time, a lot of people who were in Europe, um, the programs they were under ran out and they've returned to Ukraine since then. Um, and the residents we have now, uh, their homes are occupied or being bombed constantly. Um, several of them have lost uh, their apartments, either partially or fully. Um, and uh, and so we're here doing that. But we also, once we started doing that, we said, okay, like we need to help uh, our friends who are on the front and several, actually several people were drafted from our hotel um, and we started helping them um, in the beginning, especially Ukraine wasn't ready for such a large scale war uh, and our defenders needed socks and um, gloves. And so we were helping provide those things. Um, and now we have about a hundred families that we send care packages out to who live along the front lines, um, who have also been displaced from their homes. And um, and so we have our, what we call the ant hill here. Uh, and then you mentioned our drivers on the road, they're out today as well. well let's pick, we'll pick it up from there and, uh, and talk about sort of what you do on a day-to-day basis and talk a bit more about what the drivers are up to. You you actually got another van. Maybe you've gotten more since then, but we'll continue the conversation with my friend, Laurie Jackson, who's coming to us from Ukraine. Uh, We'll see you after this break. for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. We're having a special show today that is focused on Ukraine and the friendship that I have developed with with uh, Laurie Jackson, who is an independent missionary working in Ukraine. And again, how I got to know her was my cousin's daughter actually um, um, adopted two sons from Ukraine. And, and one actually, you're talking about the war that started in 2014. I mean, that had been going on for a very long time. So you guys have lived in this situation where there's been a lot of families impacted. And then, of course, we know the full-scale war took it to a whole other level. But you've been, you had been living in a very sort of uncertain situation for quite a while, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, before I moved to what we call the Ant Hill, the shelter for internally displaced people, I was living in an apartment with seven internally displaced people um, in Kiev for nine year, or seven years, I guess, before the full-scale invasion. Mm-hmm. So, um, so let's get back to the, the uh, Ant Hill effort and, remi- you know, obviously think about Ant Hill. What happens when you kick an Ant Hill? But say, say it in your words. Uh, so that's kind of how ants got started, um, is that we just saw this incredible movement of people wanting to help each other. And um, and it just reminded us of how when an anthill gets kicked, the ants immediately begin rebuilding. They be- immediately begin working together and coming together to rebuild their home. Um, and that's what happened. Russia came in and, and kicked our home. Uh, and so we, even as we fight this war, we continue to rebuild um, our anthill. So the war as it was being fought before the full-scale invasion that started around 2014, it wasn't what we're seeing today where, you know, Russia would go in and and complete annihilation of towns. Was was it? I mean, it was, it was, Explain um, sort of not, the difference. Not to the scale um, that it is now. Uh, Russia was destroying homes. It was destroying families. It was taking over um, apartments and places that people had lived. Um, and But not to the scale, the degree that it is now. Um, now when they come in, they take over an area and completely destroy it. Um, if you've seen pictures of Mariupol, if you haven't, look it up. Um, it was a thriving city, um, and now it's been raised to the ground. Um, and not only destroying houses and homes, destroying, like you said, families, um, and, uh, and complete just no care, uh, for the civilians, um, in the area that they're taking over as well. They've kidnapped children, um, raped and beaten, um, people. I have friends who have been beaten by Russian soldiers. I have a friend, um, who was in Azov Stahl, who is, um, still being held captive. Uh, and so, yeah, it's You know, awful. I know that it's been reported, but the, this whole notion of, Hundreds of children being taken into Russia. Um, what? There's nothing you can do about that, is there? I mean, is do you ever hear ongoing conversations to say how how can we get these kids back? I mean, what what is the latest? Because I haven't heard any or read anything about it in quite a while. Um, actually, praise the Lord um, for an organization called Save Ukraine. Um, it's a friend of a friend um, who had started a different organization working with street children um, when I first moved to Ukraine. Uh, And then uh, 
was in charge of children and family services in Kiev and actually helped me um, when I ended up in Kiev with a kid who was underage whose mom's rights were removed and we needed to figure out how to uh, keep him okay. But, um, but so he started this organization, Save Ukraine, and they go in uh, and help families get their children back who have been taken into Russia. But it's much harder when we're talking about orphans um, because there isn't family to be looking for them. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's horrible. It's scary. Is, is Russia, obviously, must be open to those conversations. But, you know, there was a there was there was at least some conventional wisdom out there that they they wanted to keep the kids. So oh, absolutely. Um, they use it as propaganda and say that the kids are in a safer place, um, that it's better for them to be in Russia uh, and um, and use that as their excuse for for keeping other people's children. <laughs> Amazing. So. What's what's interesting is that you had a wave of fighters that uh, sort of this initial wave of fighters that there's a and maybe I'm oversimplifying that but these are these are men and maybe some women who wanted to go fight who wanted to go defend the country and then as time sort of waned you then had the, the some that are the younger men and others that were beginning to get drafted so how families view this initially there was sort of this you know, we're all together as a country and we're going to go fight this war. But now, and we've seen too many of them, those men killed, and now you have more, more being drafted now. It's, it's, that's incredibly unsettling. And you know too many people who have been killed and you see too many families that have been destroyed. Talk about what that's like, uh, Laurie. Um. It's hard. It's hard to know um, what and how and uh, to keep going. Um, and I have I have friends, like you said, who have been killed. Um, I have friends who um, who have gone to fight because uh, because they want to be there. I have friends who have been drafted and now um, are glad that they are there and are glad to help. Um, and I have friends who, um, who have been drafted against their will, but are doing what they're doing because, because they want to help their country. Um, but the, the question of how long, uh, is always there and how, how, how much, how much more do people have to suffer? Um, and, and why does Russia let this, uh, keep going is always in the back of everyone's mind. Um, yeah. And yeah, there I is no, there is no. There is no current description of what a win looks like. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> we you know, for, lost so no, we yeah. haven't lost so much. We've so much has been taken from us. Right. Um, and you, uh, Andre, was on uh, your show back in the beginning. He was drafted, um, and the one thing he says all the time, every time we talk, pray that my family can be together again. Um, and he's fighting, and he will fight, and he's. He's even um, glad to be there to be able to help in the way that he's helping, but his family isn't together. And yeah, so so difficult. And he he was an entrepreneur, right? I mean, he mm -hmm. yeah, you know, like so many. You know, we were talking about software engineers and writers and, and entrepreneurs and small business owners and consultants and graphic artists. I mean, all these people that you've introduced me to over time, I remember each and every one of them. And, um, you know, they had a normal life in Kiev and other cities and 
even with the fighting that was going on to the east, uh, you guys had, you know, since 2014, you found your new normal within the guise of that. You hated the situation, but people had lives. And mm-hmm. then when the full-scale invasion happened, just like after a hurricane, everything sort of goes to heck in a handbasket, and you got to figure out what does our new normal look like. And in the case of Andres and people like him, it was, I'm going to go fight. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Gosh, I mean, you got so all so many of these men have come through the UAN effort, and now are on the front line. How do I don't know how you deal with that? I don't know how you go to bed at night. The worry that you and your counterparts must have prevailing twenty four hours a day has to be torturous. Um, yeah, all the time. Um, you always, the what if question doesn't leave. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, um, we hold on to the hope that we have in Christ and we truly believe that, um, that Ukraine is in the right, uh, in this war. And I don't want to get into politics. I don't really care about politics. Um, I'm a missionary. Uh, but at the same time, I, um, I just, I don't know. Uh, we have to believe it. that God is here and he is with I, us. Uh-huh. I think it's important to note that Laurie is such a, she's given her life to helping people in Ukraine. I mean, she came, she went over there as a missionary and then fell in love with Ukraine. And again, they, in all the conversations I've had, they remind me of Mississippians. They love their communities. They love their neighbors. They, they, are Christian in most cases, and um, you know they want nothing more than to have their life back. You know, it's just a, it's just an incredible situation. But I know that because of where you are in the situation, Laurie's going to be very careful about what she's going to say, especially when it gets to the political side of things. She's she wants to say a lot, but she's not going to say anything. That's let's put it that way. But it's hard. I mean, it's hard not to not to feel for their unsettling position. That is for sure. So, Laurie, I'm hearing I'm hearing you talk, and um, just touch. I saw your I saw the post that you did today about International Volunteerism Day, and life goes on in your effort. I mean, you guys have a long to do list. You have so many people that you're trying to serve that you are serving. And when we get back on the other side, we'll we'll talk about what International Volunteerism Day means to you guys. And what's going on today? We'll see you after this break with my friend Laurie Jackson from Ukraine. and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. As I hear sort of the the music coming back into this segment, uh, that guitar riff, it makes me think of Robert Johnson and the uh, unbelievable impact he had on blues music and and really music in general. Uh, people like Eric Clapton and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones all 
touched by uh, Robert Johnson long, long after he died. But uh, here I am in the Mississippi Delta at my place up here and can't help but think about the blues impact and, and the impact it's had on so many people. I have my friend Laurie Jackson with us today. She's coming to us from Ukraine. And I enjoy touching base with her because I think one of the most important messages you can get from the conversation that Laurie and I are having is that they're not unlike us. They want their, they want their new, they want their normal back. They want their their land back. They want their homes back, and they want to be able to live a life that's not full of worry. And uh, they want their families to be together again. These are all the issues that they face on a daily basis, and in these conversations that we're having together. I hope that you get that out of what we're what we're talking about. Hey, Laurie, just a quick side note. One of the interesting things about the fact that you and I are coming together, I'm in the Mississippi Delta. I'm in where I am. It's a uh, it's it's a, a area. It's called Delta Island, and it's a, literally surrounded by water. It's a approximately five thousand square foot farm, and um, up to this point, we would have never had. I would not have been able to do the show from here, incidentally, because broadband access and laying fiber optic cable has been something that Mississippi is really focused on. They really focused on getting broadband into communities, especially poor communities of the Mississippi Delta and rural communities. 51% of Mississippians live in rural areas. So they've really focused on that and they've laid you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fiber optic cable. And here I am on a farm. It's a collection of homes that are family, sort of the family farm here. And I'm able to have fiber optic, really high-speed internet access that enables me to do this show. So it's a real success story in Mississippi that we've been working to do that. And we're doing it through the, the electric co-ops. The electric co-ops have been empowered to go into this business. And if they'll invest, the Mississippi, Mississippi will, will match that investment. And as a result, over a billion dollars worth of investments have happened in rural communities like, like this community that I'm sitting in now. What's interesting about Ukraine, so I'm having this conversation, in spite of the war, I'm having this conversation with you, and the interesting point is that when I'm in Biloxi, or maybe even if I'm in the Mississippi Delta, I've got a better connection with you in Ukraine than I do when I talk to people in the state capitol. I, I hate to hear it, but I hate to say that, but it's true. But, you know, right. and, but Ukraine has made a significant investment in infrastructure as well, mm -hmm. hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, technology is incredible. Um, my mom and I talk all the time about how my internet here is better than her internet there. Um, and honestly, like there are so many things. Um, in the beginning, we were worried about losing connection and not being able to be in touch. Um, before the full-scale invasion, a friend of mine um, had said, okay, if we lose connection, like this is where we meet um, two hours after we lose connection. Um, and, um, praise the Lord, uh, we never did. And we had some issues last winter with power outages. Um, but the cell phone companies here, um, have banded together. I can change the company, the provider that I'm using if one of them goes down, um, for no extra charge, um, all because of what's happening so that people can continue to stay in touch. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. And also, if you think back at the people who the entrepreneurs and others that you have introduced me to, many of them have been very significant entrepreneurs in the in the tech sector. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think of Ukraine as a sort of ultra-modern uh, country that really understands the role that tech plays in 
they've worked really hard to incubate, so to speak, uh, tech tech entrepreneurs so they can be successful. And it's a, it's a it's a great story of what was happening before the full scale invasion. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, all that kind of puts on hold. But we think about the infrastructure that's been put in place. You know, when Hurricane Katrina hit coastal Mississippi. You know, the cell towers and the cell capabilities were not prepared for, you know, the worst natural disaster in American history. But since then, they've built all this infrastructure that should enable us to be able to operate afterwards. Um, the, the, the infrastructure resiliency, even during a, a war like you're dealing with, it's amazing to me that they're able to keep that going. The other interesting story is I remember extraordinarily well, and you can comment about this, that during during the winter last year, what we saw is that Russia was bombing a lot of the power stations and, you know, substations, and they were really attacking the infrastructure to try to try to create as bad a morale and as tough a living situation and as much of Ukraine as they possibly could. What was amazing about what Ukraine did, though, and for people who don't know this story, is they would bomb a power plant or a substation or whatever they were bombing. And almost immediately, and talking about ants, the they were they they converged around wherever that was and immediately started to fix it, and they would have power back up and and really a significant short period of time. It reminds me of Mississippi Power Company and what they're able to do after a hurricane. It's just incredible how these ants again these all these. These uh, power employees from multiple states come together to converge on where they're having the issue, and they fix it. They just, they just, or they bypass it, or do whatever they got to do to do that. But, but, boy, Ukraine has been very resilient when it comes to the the threats to your infrastructure, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, Ukraine also, I mentioned the sharing of cell phone services, but uh, power plants were able to share energy um, last winter as well. And so um, we would uh, have scheduled uh, power outages so that our energy could be sent to other places in Ukraine that needed it, um, which is incredible. And uh, at the Ant Hill, I don't, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about, we have what we call a power ant. Um, it's a small power station, kind of like a um, Echo Flow, if you know what that is in the States, that um, before the power outages started, a friend of mine had started building um, and we started giving to our defenders, but we were able to use them here at the hotel uh, and send them to other families and things that needed uh, larger power, uh, like, I don't know, power chargers um, uh, to use. Yes, sir, is this is this... Uh... Because I, 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 I had the opportunity early in my career to be the operation director at the Sun Herald, so we had an uninterrupted power source, which was a bank of of uh, batteries that would mm-hmm. kind of keep us running, the technology running. Then we also had generators, so mm-hmm. we could we could really handle anything. So what would happen is the the power would go off, but the emergency power supply that fed most of the technology in the company would continue to keep that going. And then we would, we didn't have, at the time, we didn't have automatic switching, but later got automatic switching. What that, what that means, essentially, is that when the power went down, we'd have to go through a very orderly flow of procedures to bring the generated power source up. Then when the power came back on, we would have to go through that same process in a reverse fashion mm-hmm. to get off the generator and get back on, on power. Eventually, obviously, automatic switching came to bear. So it knew when, if it was a temporary thing, it would use the, you know, the temporary uh, emergency power sources that was the bank of batteries. That would be enough to kind of th- keep things going. 
And then if the power came back on again, the generator power wasn't wasn't necessary. But essentially, that's what you guys have put in place, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. We're using old Tesla batteries. <laughs> and that's that's interesting. Again, mm-hmm. you've got some really talented technology so people around you. So you're using old Tesla batteries. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. What a great story that is. Has anyone done a story about that? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> You you know what you need to get you need to get a you need because I came from journalism obviously I was a publisher of newspapers and and um, you know digital media companies that were focused on news but you need to get a journalist in your midst you need to get a writer in your midst so you can just constantly turn out, out stories about the efforts that are yeah. taking place there you know um, for really sure it's, I mean it's incredible like we talk all the time about how we need cameras and we need yeah like you said like somebody to just be documenting because because it really is incredible the things uh, that Laurie when I was when after Hurricane Katrina um, I worked with Governor uh, 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 Haley Barber to form what is called the Governor's Commission on Recovery Rebuilding and Renewal and so we had an executive committee I was on the executive committee and I was the vice chair of what is called the tourism effort. So, you know, gaming and all this was a big part of coastal Mississippi. So we needed to quickly put something in, in place that helped us understand where is tourism going to be in the recovery effort? What kind of law changes do we need to make that will enable casinos to reinvest hundreds of millions of dollars to rebuild? Well, anyway, we went through that process. And along the way, we realized that one of the things we needed to do is plant journalists in each of the committees. And let mm-hmm. them write, not after the effort was over, but let them write mm-hmm. as the effort was ongoing. And yeah. so when we got done, we literally published a book of the yeah. recovery effort. Okay, so then what happened is I go to I go to Alabama and in my new role in Alabama, and then the Governor Riley, the governor of Alabama, approaches me about leading the oil recovery efforts after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. And and so what we did is we took the template that we did so well in Mississippi and we applied that template in Alabama. And then we hired journalists to work on each of the committees from day one. And so when when the effort was over, the writers were done and the book was published within a very short period of time. It's an amazing effort. You should do that. You should be <laughs> capturing it. In very uh-huh. <laughs> it's incredible. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Laurie Jackson, who's coming to us from Ukraine. more of the Ricky Matthews show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews show from the Citizens Bank Studio coming to you from the Mississippi Delta today and I have my friend Laurie Jackson who is a who's become a really good friend over the past couple of years from Ukraine. In fact, we were talking during the break I told Laurie I would love to visit her. And uh, she told me probably the quickest way to get there is go through Budapest and then catch a six-hour train. And um, I, I wish that were possible. And it's just and under the circumstances with this show, I don't, I'd have to try to figure out a way to do it, do the show from, from travel. And that would, I think, be next to impossible. But anyway, the, the sentiment is there. Um, Laurie, before we get to the International um, Volunteerism Day, I just wanted to mention to you that my wife, Ann, and I are Catholic and our family is Catholic. And... 
we committed after our son, Justin, who works in New York City, really urged us, because he had done it last year, to read the Bible in a year. And there's the Bible in the year effort by a guy by the name of, of Father Mike. And it's terrifically done. It really is. And the, the lesson you get from that is that uh, the Lord never said there wasn't going to be suffering. He never did say that. And if, you, if you're really true to the Bible and read it carefully and understand it, especially like we have, you know, every day getting some new lesson and reading mul multiple books in a day, and what, what you get is that throughout the history of the Bible, there was always a lot of pain and misery and difficulty. Um, but at the end of the day, what you learn is that if you have... If you have a faith in God, that it gives you a way to sort of bridge the gap in the difficulties. And what you have seen, what you've seen in your efforts there is that I'll say it this way: if people, the so many of the people you dealt with did not have faith, it would be so much harder, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of the residents who are here, our team uh, is believers for the most part, and um, but our residents weren't um, in the beginning. And as they've come to know the Lord, um, just even the encouragement we get from them and from being together and each other, um, we couldn't do it without it. And, uh, and the one thing I know that I know that I know that I know is, is God's faithfulness. Yeah, does the, the faith gives people hope. Faith gives the people who are going through very difficult times something to, to lean on. And this this is not a religious show, obviously, but you know I'm a I'm a I'm a uh, faithful Catholic, and I know that my faith helps me in my life, and um, and it's been quite amazing watching your team and what you have done and how 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 strong your faith is even during these incredibly difficult times. It's to draw people closer to God as opposed to take them further away from God, which has been kind of the wonderful lesson that you've taught me through your efforts. So today's International Volunteerism Day. I notice in the post you've got you got your drivers out doing what they're doing, and what does a day in the life of the UA Ant effort look like? Like today, I mean, your to do um, list is long. So it depends on the day. Obviously, every day is different. Um, but yeah, you saw our drivers on the road. They're headed um, to uh, to take a vehicle to our defenders um, and hopefully some hope. One of the most encouraging things about my team um, is that they're the most important thing to them is relationships. Yeah. Um, and so our drivers travel to the front to make deliveries, even when we could send it via a really great postal service. Um, but because they want that contact, that personal, um, like you said, wanting to come visit me, they, we have the same feelings. We want to be together. We want to um, see each other. And so another, um, this week we've had um, one of the moms, we have retreats that we host for um, families of our fallen heroes. Um, and a mom and her little boy uh, were in the area for his birthday. Um, and we got to spend the day with her little boy um, on his birthday. And it was a really hard day, but it was also a really good day. Just remembering the important things are that we have each other. Um, and so today we're 
receiving and packing um, Christmas packages and getting ready to send out Christmas packages. We send out care packages um, to about 100 families um, that have been displaced. We have about 100 families a month that come to us um, who are internally displaced in our area, and they come here. We have our kids here at the Ant Hill um, who we will provide Christmas presents for. And so a lot of that this week, we also um, we cook for uh, everybody. And so we are always have somebody in the kitchen and um, cooking, cleaning. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of what a typical day looks like. So if a family is displaced and they come to your hotel um, in, a, in really short order, they, f- they find it to be sort of a safe place to be. And what I notice about your, what I notice about your, your pictures is that there are a lot of smiles and there's a sense of trying to you know, make the holidays as, cl- as real as possible. I know behind the the smiles is a lot of pain, but imagine what it would be like if you didn't have your effort. I know you think about that all the time. Oh, absolutely. Um, We are so thankful um, to be able to be together. Um, It's as important for us as it is for our residents to have people who who are with you, who understand your situation, who want to walk with you through the difficult times. And that's where the joy comes from. Well, Laurie, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope the listeners... You know, got got to look inside Ukraine in a way maybe they haven't thought about before, and they can see what's in your heart, and they can hear you talk and and think, gosh, she's not unlike me. You know, she's someone I can really relate to, and that's that's the story of the Ukrainians. So God bless you, my friend, and have a merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you after the first. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day, and uh, we will see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.